0: will delete it out. This is Sharon. Hi Sharon. This is Tracy Vandyventer. Hey Tracy.
1: Hi Sharon. This is Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, it's so nice it. of you guys to <laughs> ask me to do this. I'm really excited. No, thank you.
0: It's it's we are so lucky to have you. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. We're excited.
0: And uh, we're trying out some new technology, so hopefully we'll be able to figure it out and uh, everything's going to flow smoothly.
1: No worries. I do have one clarifying question on number two, if you could just... uh, You asked what inspired you to take the educational path that you did. Was that question regarding going into education or was it through my career?
2: I think it's like, you know... um, You started out as a teacher and then, you know, you went into like leadership and so kind of, how did you decide to do all of that?
1: All right, thanks, Jim. I yeah. appreciate it. Hey, and your baby boy's not a baby anymore. Oh my <laughs> I gosh. I,
2: I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, I know. Before you know it, they'll be 36. That's,
2: yeah. <laughs> how old still- yours is now? Yes. Can
1: you believe that? His name's that, Mike, Jim? isn't it? Yeah, it's oh, Mike. Yeah. Oh, That's amazing. Just, I know. I know. I <laughs> know.
0: Wow. Time goes by fast. It does.
1: It does, Tracy. It does.
0: Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, everyone, we want to just welcome you. This is the Little Things First podcast where little things in education that makes a big difference. This is Tracy Vandy-Venter and I'm with Jim Martin and also Sharon Gallagher Fishbaugh. And Sharon, we are so lucky to have you. Former teacher of the year, former Utah Education Association president, and um, you've been around the block in education a little. You've got lots of stories to tell, and we would love to hear more about uh, your insights into what little things make a big difference.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Go ahead. What, what do you want to start with, Jim? What question would we? Well, tell take us just a
2: little bit about yourself. Just your okay. you know, background well, and. <laughs>
1: When Tracy said I've been around the block, she wasn't kidding. <laughs> this is my 40th year Ooh. doing work in public education. I know sometimes I can't believe it, um, and I'm a national. Some of the things I'm particularly proud of is I'm a national board certified teacher. Oh, nice. I spent mm-hmm. I spent 32 years inside a classroom, actually teaching special education and second grade, and. Uh, Yes, very blessed to be named the Utah Teacher of the Year in 2009, um, and I was blessed to be the NEA recipient of their highest teaching award for excellence. So I have truly oh, wow. learned from my colleagues and and had the pleasure of working with Jim for a couple of years and learned from Jim as well, so it's a real treat to be here with you. Right, that's how we met. You were one of my first mentors at uh, Dilworth
2: Elementary in Salt Lake.
0: That's right, <laughs> yes, good times. Was that a lot of work, Sharon? <laughs> Aaron, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, was. <laughs> it was inspiring Tracy <laughs> All right. thank you. That's so great. Now, um, as you go back, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to just touch base with that national board certification because yes. I believe that people who have had a chance to complete that process, right. Our teachers that have gone through that national board certification, uh, they, it's kind of rigorous. It's kind of an in, intentional and, and really purposeful. Is there, is there anything about that experience that you think helps prepare teachers in their own way for the little things that make a big difference?
1: Oh my goodness. I can't say enough about that, uh, Tracy. I
0: have to tell you,
1: I didn't decide to pursue it, mainly because I really hadn't heard a lot about National Board Certification until my 26th year of teaching. And I have to say that that process was more powerful than any degree I sought or any professional development I ever took because it's a very self-reflective process. It's about what you are doing in your classroom with your students at that time. And so the impact on my teaching uh, was absolutely the single most relevant thing I did. Um, it is the gold standard of of excellence in the field of education in Mm -hmm. terms of of teacher ed. Um, And I'm privileged. I'm the vice chair of their board of directors right now. And so I'm deeply embedded in that work. I wish we had more uh, national board certified teachers in Utah. Uh, We're we're certainly working towards that. But uh, definitely based on high standards and five core propositions that guide everything you do and looking through the lens of the child. So really and truly, there really wasn't anything that I have done in 40 years that made a a more impact in my students in my teaching Mm -hmm. than National Board Certification.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I've seen that myself, that those people who have gone through that process, they really come out stronger. Yes,
1: and I I think it's it's interesting. The research shows that the achievement levels of students who are taught by NBCTs, National Board Certified Teachers, uh, is increasing um, as compared with peers who are have not gone through the process. That's not to say that those teachers are not excellent teachers. But what I think the, the National Board process does is it, it sets your mind into a, an extremely reflective mode, which I think as educators, we are drinking from a fire hose and we don't yeah. ha- often have the time to do that. Yeah. So it forces you to do that and uh, it becomes habitual.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right.
2: So, Sharon, so you were in the classroom and um working with uh students uh second grade students, students with disabilities. Um what inspired you to take the edu- educational path that you did so from going from a teacher in the classroom to like other leadership opportunities. <laughs>
1: Well, that that was really, it was kind of a painful decision. I never thought I would leave the classroom. And, and quite frankly, if I were to be candid with both of you, which I will be, I wish there were more opportunities for teachers to lead from their classrooms mm-hmm. as opposed to having to leave classrooms in order to get into leadership roles. But, but having said that, um, in 2009, when I was named Utah Teacher of the Year, I was afforded a lot of opportunity to travel around the country. And uh, I was exposed to uh, what you will hear as a theme throughout our conversation, uh, the lack of teacher voice in um most aspects of education Mm -hmm. and if you look at just the simple structure of our schools most of the decisions are not made by educators Mm. and so I thought to myself happened to coincide with the UEA president uh retiring at that point in time and so I I thought okay if I really truly uh at that moment in time, which wasn't that long ago, really, 2010, uh, that was the only path I could see to make a difference at that point in
0: terms of policy. And so. Uh, we've lost contact with Sharon, and she's saying some amazing things. Let's try and get her back. What happened? We're all being still. I'm going to pretend it was like a butt Apologize. dog. Apologize. Um, I can't, they can stay in their
1: classroom and they can learn from how to lead from their classrooms. But, um, you know, at the time that I chose to run for UEA president, that was not an
0: option. So just, just to be transparent with you as well, you disappeared for just a second in part of that. Um, and part? I am so sorry. I'm, I
1: apologize. I've got some. Somebody's trying to get a hold of me. You know, the the, the <laughs> threatens. I mean, they just aren't listening that I'm not available. Um, which part? I'm sorry.
0: Well, just first of all, thank you. We know you're in demand, and we appreciate you giving us time and uh, putting putting them on hold for just a little bit as we go through our questions.
1: Not a problem. Not a problem. Can you tell me, Tracy, where you lost me? Or well,
0: well, I think what you were doing is just talking about that transition from the classroom into leadership role, and then as you were shifting over, you're talking about how the Utah Education President happened to step out at that time. And yes, and, and then it, it was a convenient place for you to be able to slip into that leadership role, and then just re—I think that you're, you know, reiterating the fact that we wish teachers had a way and to to share their voice from the classroom in leadership, you know, roles.
1: Yes, and I and I I think you've summarized it beautifully, Um, and I do believe that we're seeing that happening now. I think uh, there are a lot of states. uh, As I my work is mostly out of D.C. right now, but there are a lot of states that have a teacher leadership track Mm -hmm. uh, in in terms of their certification across the the board, and Mm -hmm. so I see that uh, I see that happening, um, and I'm I'm pleased. I think it's it's beyond time.
0: Yeah, I agree. Thank you.
2: So Sharon, you recently wrote an op-ed for the Deseret News with Heidi Matthews, the current UEA president. And that was one of the reasons I read that. And I thought, we've got to get her on the Little Things First podcast. (laughs) Um, And so can you talk a little bit about the impetus for the article and what you want people to know from that?
1: Sure. And I think think this ties together with... um, my firm belief that we need to lift up teacher voices. When um, I think one of the hardest things about being UEA president was that I was very naive in the sense that I thought, oh, we're all just gonna put kids at the forefront of our thinking. And we're we're just gonna, this is gonna be a a lift we can all do together. And um, the political realities that face education hit me square right on front and center. And what I what bothered me most, quite frankly, about the article uh, from then President uh, Senate President Niederhauser was the misrepresentation of the history of the creation of the turnaround bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, and and please understand, I believe that most politicians come to the their work with a pure heart in thinking that they are going to do what they believe is best for students and teachers. Um, sadly, because of the fact that teacher voice is left out of out of things, there are policies, and I can count numerous policies, including the turnaround bill, which was created without our voice, without having us brought to the table to hear what the, ex- the experts, the teachers, had to say about this. Um, And it was, was ignored. And so, so when I read the article, I was stunned, quite frankly, um, because I disagree with everything about the turnaround process as it's constituted in that bill. And so for me, it was about setting the record straight. And, uh, you know, it's not okay to misrepresent what took place, mm-hmm. and so um, and and they're really clearly in my mind, respectfully, was no way that our lack of involvement could have been misconstrued as being listened to. We weren't even asked, mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I was frustrated by that, and I just wanted to set the record straight.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, what was it about the bill that um, you see as potential as? especially problematic.
1: So the bill, the bill narrows the focus to a test score. That is what the grading schools legislation is tied directly to that turnaround legislation. And as you well know, both of you, that grading schools legislation has changed and been modified numerous times since its inception. And so the bar is constantly being shifted.
0: Yeah.
1: And, what I believe is, I believe that schools absolutely need to be held accountable for what they're doing, the results they're producing. But those results need to be taken in context of the bigger picture. We narrowed, we've narrowed that in the bill. The uh, we've narrowed the achievement to a test score, and then. As we have seen, that particular assessment has proven to be problematic and mm-hmm. since has been, you know, it's just a convoluted mess of this is really and truly not what we should be about. We should be about holding one another accountable in this sense. And that is, if you are not making strides with your students, what as a teacher are you going to do to change your practice to articulate what you would do differently, to provide opportunities for all students, and my answer to that is what I said in the in the op ed, and that is a community school uh, model. Mm. Why are we not Why are we not looking at the whole child? Where when we narrow a child to a test score, it's in my mind, as I said in the article, malpractice. Mm. It is. It is absolutely malpractice. First, for the students. And the educators, second, and for that community and those families. Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
0: And I think that, uh, you know, your point is well taken. I'm at a community school, and uh, we're providing some mental health support. We're, provo- you know, we're providing um, support with with even families and helping them get food and access to other resources. Uh, We're going to be doing um, food handler permit classes, those kinds of things where we're really trying to help uh, surround the child with as much uh, support as possible, knowing that those other pieces in their lives has a big impact on their ability to learn and to be their best selves. So,
1: I would love to come and visit
0: your school, Tracy. Okay, excellent. Mm -hmm. I would love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are we on number four then, Jim? We're on number four. Perfect. So our podcast is really thinking about the little things that make a big difference in the world of education. So we're wondering from you, especially because you've been in education at so many different levels, what do you think are three little things that you can identify that you think if enacted would change education for the better?
1: I'm not sure how little they are, but I'll go
0: ahead and tell you what
1: I think. I think... First and foremost, we need to ensure that educator voice is included in every level in policymaking, in every level uh, at curriculum levels. Beyond that, I, I, we tried to run a bill, and I believe there is another state, and I'm sorry I'm drawing a blank on which state it is, that just passed a law that if there is any, any bill related to public education, it has to be vetted through a teacher panel. Wow. Um I know I and, and that would include administrators mm-hmm. right because administrators are a critical piece of this when I talk about educators I'm talking about that in a, a broad swath of course. um yeah and I but I do think that uh if we do that we will one save money, yeah. the turnaround bill is a great example of an investment that was made in a vendor, not in a school, and not in educators, and certainly not in students. It was made for them to swoop in and say, okay, this is what you need to do to raise your test scores, and then what, what happens when they leave? How is that sustainable? Mm-hmm. So we've seen that happen. We've seen the grading schools bill. They would not listen to us. Honestly and truly, we walked away from the table on the grading schools bill because we could not get anyone to work with us during its um, creation. And um, then once it was created and the first grades came out and the bottom fell out because people were upset, they called us back, they meaning leadership in our, our legislature, called UEA back to the table. I will. There were other organizations there, but I will speak only for UEA and wanted us to help them fix it. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, it was fix it within the guise of, of doing it the same way they wanted to. And we just said, I'm sorry. You know, you, we, we can't fix this for you. Repealing it would fix it and focusing on X, Y, and Z. And you're not willing to do that. Now, I think about have educators been in that discussion? early on and had we been listened to we could have really made an impact in a positive way so that's that's the first thing i think the community schools work is critical i think providing a framework to address the needs of the whole child is essential and we need adequate resources to do the work
0: right Mm -hmm. uh if you don't mind i want to go a little deeper and um step into your role as a teacher and teacher of the year when you were at that level, you had an administrator at the time. Can you think back to what your administrator did to help you in your success?
1: Absolutely, I've had I've had great administrators, and I've had some that were not so great. Um, I think that I think the administrator um, plays such a key role. Uh, you know, as a as a principal, you set the tone. And for that building and especially among your your educators and I think it would be that simply this the great principles I had Let let me do the work. Let us do the work They gave us the tools the time the, the resources We need to do the good work and held us to a high standard and if we weren't meeting that standard They were courageous in their capacity to come in and help and their capacity to to make change. so I think it's really not micromanaging and having faith and confidence in your educators and the courage to take on uh, those that aren't doing it and and really have a conversation with them and enable them and help them to become better. And if they can't, then we need to figure out how we help them ed- exit the profession with dignity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you think of an example of setting the tone? I think that's something I've been really working on myself. Uh, and, and for instance, I've been really trying to be conscious about thanking teachers for the work that they do every day. Can you think of a time when the administrator helped by setting a, a, a tone for you or did something for you that you think, oh, thank you. That, that made a difference for me.
1: Yeah, I, I can actually. I, this is a simple story, uh, but, but- I think a very poignant story in the rub and the difficulty that administrators face because you're being pulled. I mean, not only are teachers being pulled, but my goodness, Mm -hmm. I mean, you have expectations from your district, from your supervisors, from the state. I mean, you're pulled in a million directions. And, uh, so this had to do with, a a policy from the state and it was the developmental reading assessment which we used to give to kids Mm -hmm. I don't know if they still do I haven't been around for a while inside a classroom directly but I had a little boy whose mother had died and in fact, I had taught his mother, which was was very very uh, tragic, mm-hmm. and she had passed suddenly. And uh, he had come back to school, come back to the class right at the time we were doing the DRA. And it's a silly; it was a silly story. You know, you would think nothing of it. The the level we were reading was about a mother beaver and her babies, mm-hmm. and we're in the midst of reading this as I'm trying to get, uh, you know get an assessment from this little guy and he yeah. just broke down right. he just broke down and i just walked into my principal and i said you can fire me you're not going to have a dra score on this child yeah. he said he said no i support you 100 percent. i will fight it out if i have to at the district and at that moment in time i knew he had kids at the forefront of his thinking yeah. Wow. and yeah so that's that's one that's just very clear in my mind because he could have said no you
0: you'll have to do it but Perfect example, and like you said, it it wasn't a, a great gesture of uh, some sweeping reform. Right, that made a difference for you and for that child. That's right. Mm-hmm.
2: Sharon, if you could talk to your younger self through a time machine of sorts, and you know, give your younger self advice to help you be more successful as an educator, what advice would you give?
1: Couple of things. Back when I started in the seventies. Uh, You weren't born, Jim. I know that. (laughs) Um, I, I remember as a special ed teacher being told, oh, don't worry, just do the best you can with those kids. There are limits here and limits there. So I would say the first and foremost is to have an inherent belief that every child is capable of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I saw a time in my career where we narrowed our teaching to just those at a tier two, we called them tier two kids. I think, I don't know what, I mean, there's always a label, you know, it's like, Oh, well, the high kids are going to do well. The low kids don't worry about them. It's the ones in the middle that are going to move that test score, that Mm -hmm. achievement level. And, and again, that, that, was something I fought against always. So I would say, first and foremost, believe every child can learn. even And they're coming to school with all different sorts of things happening in their lives. And we see now more trauma in classrooms than ever before. So the jobs you do as administrators and teachers are even more complex. But have that inherent belief. And seek advice and counsel from others. Don't be an island. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Go out and and... Talk to the colleagues you admire in your building. Seek advice from those that you know are well-respected by parents, teachers, their colleagues, their friends, and the administrator. So it would be those two things.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you. Great advice.
1: What are you working on now? I'm failing at retirement. (laughs) That's fair. It's really true. I, I am serving on several nonprofit boards in the education space. I just finished up my term as chair of the National Education Association's Foundation, and I'm serving as past chair for a year. I think I told you I'm the vice chair of the National Board for Professional mm-hmm. Teaching Standards for their board of directors. Um, I was just appointed the to the board of trustees for the National Teacher Hall of Fame. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I'm really active with Story, the National Network of State Teachers of the Year, and our Utah State Teachers of the Year chapter, um, mentoring some state presidents through the National Education Association. And I'm on lots of local and national committees. I'm on the Envision Utah Education Steering Committee. So I can't seem to let it go. I don't know <laughs> what's wrong with me. But my husband isn't retired yet, so it's good that I've kind of got my hands in, in a few things, hoping to still make a difference.
2: Yeah, well, it's lucky for us. That you keep finding ways into uh, projects. So, well,
1: thanks, Jim.
2: <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you see yourself doing next?
1: Well, I'm going to finish out all of of this work, which is going to take at least maybe the next five, six years. Um, And then hopefully I truly will retire and figure out what to do with my husband. By then he'll be, he'll be ready to retire too.
0: So we'll find some time to do some things together. So
1: yeah. That's nice. You deserve it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Sharon, we really have appreciated you fitting us into your schedule and all those activities you have going on. So uh, thank you for not uh, being able to just quietly retire, so that you could come and even speak with us. It means a lot to us because I think that uh, we want to continue to build on what we know as a community of educators and where we've been, and then you know together join efforts to help us continue to improve. And so, you're sharing your knowledge and expertise with us is is invaluable. I'm wondering, Well, go ahead. Yes.
1: No, I just, I, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to talk with you. You know,
0: it's, it's, it's about keeping the promise of public education and it takes all of us. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to share with us that would help our listeners just remember that every day when they show up, they make a difference in those, you know, lives of children in front of them. What, what advice would you have or what other insights can you share with us as we close out?
1: I think that just remembering that uh, you have the power to impact. I know that sounds so trite, but as UEA president, after I had been gone from the classroom for probably five years, I received a handwritten letter from a student I had in second grade who is now an advocate attorney in Texas. Mm -hmm. And what she, yeah, what she shared with me, I don't remember this this incident at all, Jim and Tracy, but she did. It was very simple. It was one day I, I kept her in from recess to talk with her about being kind and about some of the troubles that she was having with other girls. You know, love girls, but there's a lot of drama sometimes. And um, we had a great conversation, 15 minutes, and she wrote to me to tell me how she carried that conversation with her for the next 15 years mm. through her life, and it has helped her to become a, a better advocate attorney. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, right? So remember that. Hang on to that. That smile of that child in your classroom as they walk through the door may be the only smile they get. So, what you do is critically important.
2: Yeah, that's a great reminder. Sometimes we make differences in ways we don't even realize the impact. Yeah.
1: That's so right, Chen. Until
2: later on. Well, thank you, Sharon. It's been so great talking to you, and I feel like I've learned a lot in the last. Half hour, and also just in my interactions with you through my career. So, thank you so much for being a great mentor, a great leader, a great representative of education.
1: Well, thanks to both of you. I appreciate you. All right. Take Enjoy care. Have a great day. All right. Day. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye.